Sense and Sensibility, Chapter 20. As the Miss Dashwoods entered the drawing room of the park the next day, at one door, Mrs. Palmer came running in at the other door, looking as humored as and as merry as before. She took them all most affectionately by the hand and expressed great delight in seeing them again. I am so glad to see you, said she, seating herself between Eleanor and Marianne, for it is so bad a day that I was afraid you might not come, which would not be a sh which would be a shocking tomorrow. We must go, for the Westons come to us next week, you know. It was quite a sudden thing for our coming at all, and I knew nothing of it till the carriage was coming to the door. And then Mr. Palmer asked me if I would go with him to Barton. He is so droll. He never tells me anything. I'm so sorry we cannot stay longer. However, we shall meet again in town very soon, I hope. They were obliged to put an end to such an expectation. Not go to town, cried Mrs. Palmer with a laugh. I shall be quite disappointed if you do not. I could get the nicest house in the world for you next door to ours in Hanover Square. You must come indeed. I am sure I shall be very happy to chaperone you at any time till I am confined, if Mrs. Dashwood should not like to go into public. They thanked her, but were obliged to resist all of her entreaties. Oh, my love, cried Mrs. Palmer to her husband, who just then entered the room. You must help me persuade the Miss Dashwoods to go to town this winter. Her love made no answer, and after slightly bowing to the ladies, began complaining of the weather. How horrid all this is, said he. Such weather makes everything and everybody disgusting. Dullness is much produced within doors as without by rain. It makes one detest all one's acquaintances. What the devil does Sir John mean by not having a billiards room in his house? How few people know what comfort is. Sir John is stupid. Is as stupid as the weather. The rest of the company soon dropped in. I am afraid, Miss Marianne, said Sir John, you have not been able to take your usual walk to Allenham today. Marianne looked very grave and said nothing. Oh, don't be so sly before us, said Mrs. Palmer. We, we know all about it, I assure you, and I admire your taste very much, for I think he is extremely handsome. We do not live a great way from him in the country, you know, not above ten miles, I dare say. Much nearer thirty, said her husband. Oh, well, there is not much difference. I was never at his house, but they say it is a pretty sweet place. As vile a spot as I ever saw in my life, said Mr. Palmer. Marianne remained perfectly silent through her countenance, betrayed her in interest in what was said. Is it very ugly, continued Mrs. Palmer. Then it must be some other place that is so pretty, I suppose. When they were seated in the room, Sir John observed with regret that they were only eight altogether. My dear, he said to his lady, it is very provoking that we should be so few. Why did you not ask the Gilberts to come to us today? Did I not tell you, Sir John, when you spoke to me about it before, that you dined with us last? You and I, Sir John, said Mrs. Jennings, should not stand upon such ceremony. Then you will be very ill-bred, cried Mrs. Palmer. My love, you contradict everybody, said his wife with her usual laugh. Did you know you were quite rude? I did not know I contradicted anybody in calling your mother ill-bred. Ah, you may abuse me as much as you please, said the good-natured old lady. You have taken Charlotte off my hands and cannot give her back again, so there I have the whip hand of you. Charlotte laughed heartily to think that her husband could not get rid of her, and exultingly said she did not care how cross he was to her, as they must live together. It was impossible for anyone to be more thoroughly good-natured or more determined to be happy than Mrs. Palmer. The studied indifference, insolence, and discontent of her husband gave her no pain, and when he scolded or abused her, she was highly diverted. 
Mr. Palmer is so droll, she said in a whisper to Eleanor. He is always out of humor. Eleanor was not inclined, after a little observation, to give him credit for being so genuinely and unaffectedly ill-natured or ill-bred as he wished to appear. His temper might perhaps be a little soured by finding, like many others of his sex, that through some uncomfortable bias in favor of beauty, he was the husband of a very silly woman. But she knew that this kind of blunder was too common for any sensible man to be lastingly hurt by it. It was rather a wish of distinction, she believed, which produced his contemptuous treatment of everybody and his general abuse of everything before him. It was the desire of appearing superior to other people. The motive was too common to be wondered at, but the means, however, they might succeed in establishing his superiority and ill breeding were not likely to attach to anyone ex to him except his wife. Oh, my dear Miss Dashwood, said Mrs. Palmer soon afterwards, I've got such a favor to ask of you and your sister. Will you come and spend some time at Cleveland this Christmas? Now pray do and come while the Westons are with us. You cannot think how happy it shall be. It will be quite delightful. My love, applying to her husband, don't you long to have the Miss Dashwoods come to Cleveland? Certainly, he replied with a sneer. I came into Devonshire with no other view. There now, said his lady, you see Mr. Palmer expects you, so you cannot refuse to come. They both eagerly and resolutely declined her invitation. But indeed, you must and shall come. I am sure you will like it of all things. The Westons will be with us, and it will be quite delightful. You cannot think what a sweet place Cleveland is, and we are so gay now, for Mr. Palmer is always going about the country, canvassing against the election, and so many people come to dine with us that I never saw before. It is quite charming. But poor fellow, it's very fatiguing to him, for he is forced to make everybody like him. Eleanor could hardly keep her countenance as she assented to the hardship of such an obligation. How charming it will be, said Charlotte, when he is in Parliament, won't it? How shall I laugh? It will be so ridiculous to see all of his letters directed to him with an MP. But don't you know, he says, he will never frank for me. He declares he won't, don't you, Mr. Palmer? Mr. Palmer took no notice of her. He cannot bear riding, you know. He says it is quite shocking. No, said he, I never said anything so irrational. Don't palm all of your abuses of language upon me. There now, you see how droll he is? This is always the way with him. Sometimes he won't speak to me for half a day together, and then he comes out with something so droll about anything in the world. She surprised Eleanor very much as they returned into the drawing room by asking her whether she did not like Mr. Palmer excessively. Certainly, said Eleanor, he seems very agreeable. Well, I am so glad you do. I thought you would. He is so pleasant, and Mr. Palmer is excessively pleased with you and your sisters, I can tell you. And you can't think how disappointed he will be if you don't come to Cleveland. I can't imagine why you should object to it. Eleanor was again obliged to decline her invitation, and by changing the subject put a stop to her entreaties. She thought it probable that they lived in the same country. Mrs. Palmer might be able to give some more particular account of Willoughby's general character than could be gathered from the Middleton's partial acquaintance with him. And she was eager to gain from anyone such a confirmation of his merits as might remove the possibility of fear for Marianne. She began by inquiring if they saw much of Mr. Willoughby at Cleveland and whether they were intimately acquired with him, acquainted with him. Oh, dear, yes, I know him extremely well, replied Mrs. Palmer. Not that I ever spoke to him indeed, but I have seen him forever in town. Somehow or another, I have happened to be staying at Barton while he was at Allenham. Mama saw him here once before, but I was with my uncle at Weymouth. However, I dare say we should have seen a great deal of him in Somershire if he had not if it had not happened very unlikely that we should have been in the country together. He is very little at home, I would believe, but if he were 
ever so much there. I do not think Mr. Palmer should visit him, for he is in the opposition, you know. And besides, it is such a way off. I know why you inquire about him very well. Your sister is to marry him. I am monstrous glad of it, for I shall have her as my neighbor, you know. Upon my word, replied Eleanor, you know much more of the matter than I do, if you have any reason to expect such a match. Don't pretend to deny it, because you know it is what everybody talks of. I assure you, I heard of it in a way through, in my way through town. My dear Mrs. Palmer, upon my honor, I did. I met Colonel Brandon Monday morning in Bond Street just before we left town, and he told me of it directly. You surprise me very much. Colonel Brandon tell you of it? Surely you must be mistaken. To give such intelligence to a person who could not be interested in it, even if it were true, is not what I should expect Colonel Brandon to do. But I do assure you it was so for all that, and I will tell you how it happened. When we met him, he turned back and walked with us, and so we began talking of my brother and sister and one thing and another, and I said to him, so, Colonel, there's a new family come to Barton Cottage. I hear, and Mama sends me word that they are very pretty and that one of them is going to be married to Mr. Willoughby of Combe Magna. Is it true, pray? For, of course, you must know, as you have seen, as you have been in Devonshire so lately— and what did the colonel say? Oh, he did not say much, but he looked as if he knew it to be quite true. So from that moment, I set it down as certain. It will be quite delightful, I declare. When is it to take place? Mr. Brandon was very well, I hope. Oh, yes, quite well, and so full of your praises. He did nothing but say fine things of you. I am flattered by his commendation. He seems an excellent man, and I think him uncommonly pleasing. So do I. He's such a charming man. That is with quite a pity he should be so grave and dull. Mama says he was in love with your sister, too. I assure you it was a great compliment if he was, for he hardly ever falls in love with anybody. Is Mr. Willoughby much known in your part of Somershire, said Eleanor? Oh, yes, extremely well, that is. I do not believe many people are acquainted with him, because Combe Magna is so far off. But they all think him extremely agreeable, I assure you. Nobody is more liked than Mr. Willoughby wherever he goes, and so you may tell your sister. She is monstrous lucky girl to get him, upon my honor, not but, not but that he is much more likely in getting her, because she is so very handsome and agreeable that nothing can be good enough for her. However, I don't think her hardly at all handsomer than you, I assure you, for I think you both excessively pretty, and so does Mr. Palmer too, I am sure, though we could not get him to own it last night. Mrs. Palmer's information respecting Willoughby was not very material, but any testimony in his favor, however small, was pleasing to her. I'm so glad we we are got acquainted at last, continued Charlotte, and now I hope we shall always be great friends. You can't think how much I long to see you. It is so delightful that you should live at a cottage. Nothing can be like it, to be sure, and I am so glad your sister is going to be well married. I hope you will be a great deal at Combe Magna. It is such a sweet place by all accounts. You have been long acquainted with Colonel Brandon, have not you? Yes, a great while, ever since my sister married. He was a particular friend of Sir John's, I believe, she added in a low voice. He would have been very glad to have me if he could. Sir John and Lady Middleton wished it very much, but Mama did not think the match good enough for me. Otherwise, Sir John would have mentioned it to the Colonel, and we should have been married immediately. Did not Colonel Brandon know of Sir John's proposal to your mother before it was made? Had he never owned his affection to yourself? Oh, no, but if Mama had not objected to it, I dare say he would have liked it of all things. He had not seen me then above twice, for it was before I left school. However, I am much happier as I am. Mr. Palmer is just the kind of man I like. Chapter 21 
The Palmers returned to Cleveland the next day, and the two families at Barton were again left to entertain each other. But this did not last long. Eleanor had hardly got their last visitors out of her head, hardly done walking, wondering at Charlotte's being so happy without cause, at Mr. Palmer's acting so simply and with good abilities, and at the strange unsuitableness which often existed between husband and wife before Sir John and Mrs. Jennings' active zeal in the cause of society procured her some other new acquaintance to see and observe. In a morning's excursion to Exeter, they had met with two young ladies whom Mrs. Jennings had the satisfaction of discovering to be her relations, and this was enough for Sir John to invite them directly to the park as soon as their present engagements at Exeter were over. Their engagements at Exeter instantly gave way before such an invitation, and Lady Middleton was thrown into a little alarm on the return of Sir John by hearing that she was very soon to receive a visit from two girls who she had never seen in her life and of whose elegance, whose tolerable gentility even, she could have no proof for the assurances of her husband and her mother on that subject went for nothing at all. Their being her relations, too, made it much more the worse, and Mrs. Jennings' attempts at consolidating at consolation were therefore unfortunately founded when she advised her daughter not to care about their being so fashionable because they were all cousins and must put up with each other. It was As it was impossible, however, now to prevent their coming, Lady Middleton resigned herself to the idea of it with all the philosophy of a well-bred woman, contenting herself with merely giving her husband a gentle reprimand on the subject five or six times a day. The young ladies arrived. Their appearance was by no means ungentle or unfashionable. Their dress was very smart, their manners very civil, and they were delighted with the house and in raptures with the furniture. And they happened to be so dotingly fond of the children that of Lady Middleton's good opinion was engaged on their favor before they had been an hour at the park. She declared them to be very agreeable girls indeed, which for her ladyship was enthusiastic admiration. Sir John's confidence in his own judgment rose with this animated praise, and he set off directly for the cottage to tell the Miss Dashwoods of the Miss Steele's arrival and to assure them of their being the sweetest girls in the, in the world. From such commendation as this, however, there was not much to be learned. Eleanor well knew that the sweetest girls in the world were to be met with in every part of England, under every possible variation of form, face, temper, and understanding. Sir John wanted the whole family to walk the park directly and look at his guests. Benevolent, philanthropic man. It was painful to him even to keep a third cousin to himself. Do come now, said he. Pray come. You must come. I declare you shall come. You can't think how you will all like them. Lucy is monstrous pretty and so good-humored and agreeable. The children are all hanging about her already as if she were an old acquaintance, and they both long to see you of all things, for they have heard at Exeter that you are the most beautiful creatures in the world, and I have told them it is all very true, and a great deal more. You will be delighted with them, I am sure. They have brought you the whole coach full of playthings for the children." How can you be so cross not to come? Why, they are your cousins, you know. After a fashion, you are my cousins and they are my wives, so you must be related. But Sir John could not prevail. He could only obtain a promise of their calling at the park within a day or two, and then left them in amazement at their indifference to walk home and boast anew of their attractions to the Miss Steeles, as he had already been boasting of the Miss Steeles to them. When their promised visit to the park and consequent introduction 
and consequent introduction to these ladies took place, they found in the appearance of the eldest, who was nearly 30, with a very plain and not a sensible face, nothing to admire. But in the other, who was not more than two or three and 20, they acknowledged considerable beauty. Her features were pretty, and she had sharp, quick eye and a smartness of air, which, though it did not give actual elegance or grace, gave distinction to her person. Their manners were particularly civil, and Eleanor soon allowed them credit for some kind of sense. When she saw with what constant and judicious attentions they were making themselves agreeable to Lady Middleton. With her children, they were in continual raptures, extolling their beauty, courting their notice, and humoring all their whims. And such of their time could be spared from the importunate demands which this politeness made of it was spent in admiration of whatever her ladyship was doing, if she happened to be doing anything, or in taking pattern of some elegant new dress in which her appearance the day before had thrown them into unceasing delight. Fortunately, those who pay their court through such foibles, a fond mother, though, in pursuit of praise for her children, the most rapturous of human beings, is likewise the most credulous. Her demands are exorbitant, but she will swallow anything in the excessive affection and endurance of the Miss Steeles toward her offspring, were viewed, therefore, by Lady Middleton without the smallest surprise or distrust. She saw with maternal complacency all of the impertinent encroachments and mischievous tricks to which her cousins submitted. She saw their sashes, sashes untied, their hair pulled about their ears, their work bags searched, and their knives and scissors stolen away, and felt no doubt of its being a reciprocal enjoyment. It suggested no other surprise than that Eleanor and Marianne should sit so composedly by without claiming a share in what was passing. John is in such spirits today, said she, on his taking Miss Steele's pocket handkerchief and throwing it out of a window. He is full of monkey tricks, and soon afterwards, on the second boys violently pinching one of the same lady's fingers she finally observed how playful william is and here's my sweet little anna maria she said tenderly caressing a little girl of three years old who had not made a noise for the last two minutes and she was always so gentle and quiet never was there such a quiet thing but unfortunately in bestowing these embraces a pin in her ladyship's headdress slightly scratching the child's neck produced from this pattern of gentleness such violent screams as could hardly be outdone by any creature professedly noisy. The mother's consternation was excessive, but it could not surprise the alarm of the Miss Steeles, and everything was done by all three in so critical an emergency, which affection could suggest as likely to assuage the agonies of the little sufferer. She was seated in her mother's lap, covered with kisses, her wound bathed with lavender water by one of the Miss Steeles, who was on her knees to attend to her, and her mouth stuffed with sugar plums by the other. With such a reward for her tears, the child was too wise to cease crying. She still screamed and sobbed lustily, kicked her two brothers for offering to touch her, and they all united soothings were ineffectual till Lady Middleton, luckily remembering that in a sense of similar distress last week, some apricot marmalade had been successfully applied for a bruised temple. The same remedy was equally proposed for this unfortunate scratch, and a slight intermission of screams and the young lady on hearing it gave them reason to hope that it would not be rejected. She was carried out of the room, therefore, in her mother's arms in quest of this medicine. And as the two boys chose to follow, though earnestly entreated by their mother to stay behind, the four young ladies were left in a quietness which the room had not known for many hours. Poor little creature, said Miss Steele as soon as they were gone. It might have been a very sad accident. Yet I hardly know, cried Marianne, unless it had been under totally different circumstances. But this is the usual way of heightening alarm where there is nothing to be alarmed at in reality. 
What a sweet woman Lady Middleton is, said Lucy Steele. Marianne was silent. It was impossible for her to say what she did not feel, however trivial the occasion. And upon Eleanor, therefore, the whole task of telling lies when politeness required it always fell. She did her best when thus called upon by speaking of Lady Middleton with warmth, more warmth than she felt, though with far less than Miss Lucy. And Sir John, too, cried the elder sister. What a charming man he is. Here, too, Miss Dashwood's commendation, being only a simple and just, came in without any eclat. She merely observed that he was perfectly good-humored and friendly. And what a charming little family they have. I never saw such fine children in my life. I declare I quite dote upon them already, and indeed I have always distractedly fond of children. I should guess so, said Eleanor with a smile, from what I have witnessed this morning. I have a notion, said Lucy. You think that the Middletons rather too much indulged. Perhaps they may be on the outside of enough, but it is so natural in Lady Middleton, and for my part, I love to see the children full of life and spirits. I cannot bear them if they are tame and quiet. I confess, replied Eleanor, that while I'm at Barton Park, I never think of tame and quiet children with any abhorrence. A short pause succeeded this speech, which was first broken by Miss Steele, who seemed very much disposed for conversation, and who now rather abrupt abruptly said, and how do you like Devonshire, Miss Dashwood? I suppose you were very sorry to leave Sussex? In some surprise at the familiarity with this question, or at least in the manner with, with which it was spoken, Eleanor replied that she was. Norland is prodigious, is a prodigious beautiful place, is it not? added Miss Steele. We have heard Sir John admire it excessively, said Lucy, who seemed to think some apology necessary for the freedom of her sister. I think everyone must admire it, replied Eleanor, whoever saw the place, though it must not be supposed that anyone can estimate its beauties as we do. And had you a great many smart bow there? I suppose that you had not so many in this part of the world. For my part, I think they are a vast addition always. But why should you think that, said Lucy, looking ashamed of her sister, that there are not as many genteel young men in Devonshire as Sussex? Nay, my dear, I'm not sure I pretend to say that there aren't. I'm sure there is a vast many smart bow in Exeter. But you know how I could tell what a smart bow there might be in New Orleans, and I was af only afraid that the Miss Dashwoods might find it dull at Barton if they had not so many as they used to have. Per perhaps young ladies may not care about the bow, and had as leaf and had as leaf be without them as with them. For my part, I think they are vastly agreeable, provided they dress smart and behave civil. But I can't bear to see them dirty and nasty. Now there's Mister Rose at Exeter a prodigious smart young man, quite a beau, clerk to Mr. Simpson, you know, and yet if you do but meet him a morning, he is not fit to be seen. I suppose your brother was quite a beau, Miss Dashwood, before he married, as he was so rich? Upon my word, replied Eleanor, I cannot tell you, for I do not perfectly comprehend the meaning of the word, but this I can say, that if he ever was a beau before he married, he is one still, for there is not the smallest alteration in him. Oh dear, no one ever thinks of married men's being married men's being beau. They have something else to do. Lord, Anne, cried her sister, you can talk of nothing but beau. You will make Miss Dashwood believe you are, you think of nothing else. And then turn the discourse she began to admire the house and the furniture. This specimen of the Miss Steeles was enough. The vulgar freedom and folly of the eldest left her no recommendation. And as Eleanor was not blinded by the beauty or the shrewd look of the youngest, to her want of real elegance and alertness, she left the house without any wish of knowing them better. Not so the Miss Steeles. They came from Exeter, well provided with admiration for the use of Sir John Middleton, his family, and all his relations, and no niggardly proportion was now dealt out his fair cousins, 
whom they declared to be the most beautiful, elegant, accomplished, and agreeable girls they had ever beheld, and with whom they were particularly anxious to be better acquainted. And to be better acquainted, therefore, Eleanor soon found out was their inevitable lot, for as John, Sir John was entirely on the side of the Mastilles, their party would be too strong for opposition, and that kind of intimacy must be submitted to, which consists of sitting an hour or two together in the same room almost every day. Sir John could do no more, but he could not think that any more was required. To be together was, in his opinion, to be intimate, and while his continual schemes for their meeting were effectual, he had not a doubt of their being established friends. To do him justice, he did everything in his power to promote their unreserve by making the Miss Steeles acquainted with whatever he knew or supposed of his cousin's situations in the most delicate particulars. And Eleanor had not seen them more than twice before the eldest of them wished her joy on her sister's having been so lucky as to make a conquest of a very smart beau since she came to Barton. "'Twill be a fine thing to have her married so young, to be sure,' she said. "'And I hear he is quite a beau and a prodigious handsome, and I hope you have you may have good luck upon yourself soon, but perhaps you may have a friend in the corner already. Eleanor could not suppose that Sir John would be more nice in proclaiming his suspicions of her regard for Edward than he had been with respect to Marianne. Indeed, it was rather his favorite joke of the two as being somewhat newer and more conjectural. And since Edward's visit, they had neither dined together without his drinking to her best affections with so much significancy and so many nods and winks and to excite general attention. The letter F had been likewise invariably brought forward and found productive of such countless jokes that its character at the wittiest letter in the alphabet had long been established with Eleanor. The Miss Steeles, as she expected, had now in all the benefit of these jokes, and in the eldest of them they raised a curiosity to know the names of the gentlemen alluded to, which, though often impertinently expressed, was perfectly of a piece with her general inquisitiveness into the concerns of their family. But Sir John did not sport long with the curiosity which he delighted to raise, for he had at least as much pleasure in telling the name as Miss Steele had in hearing it. Hearing it, His name is Ferris, said he, in a suitable aud audible whisper, but pray do not tell it, for it is a great secret. Ferris, replied Mrs. Steele, Mr. Ferris is the happy man, is he? What, your sister-in-law's brother, Miss Dashwood's? A very agreeable young man, to be sure. I know him very well. How can you say so, Anne, cried Lucy, who generally made an amendment to all of her sister's assertions. Though we have seen him once or twice at my uncle's, it is rather too much to pretend to know him very well. Eleanor heard all this with attention and surprise. And who was this uncle? Where did he live? How did they come acquainted? He wished very much to have the subject continued, though she did not choose to join in it herself, but nothing more of it was said, and for the first time in her life she thought Mrs. Jennings deficient either in curiosity after the petty information or in disposition to communicate it. The manner in which Miss Steele had spoken of Edward increased her curiosity, for it struck her as being rather ill-natured and suggested the suspicion of that lady's knowing or fancying herself to know something to his disadvantage. But her curiosity was unveiling, for no farther notice was taken of Mr. Ferris's name by Miss Steele when alluded to, or even openly mentioned by Sir John.